We're so happy that you're here this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we are especially glad that you're here. We count you our honored guest, and we hope that you will find everything that is done will be done in accordance with the glory of God. As we think about the idea of living in unity and peace together, I think it's incumbent upon us to go to God's Word. We're reminded in Scripture, in John chapter 7, where we see Jesus himself praying that his followers would be one. He said he prayed that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. He said that we are to be one, that we are to be united in purpose and we are to be united in heart. As we gather here today, there is indeed a desire on the part of each one of us to attain to something that is better than what we find here on this earth. In our hearts, we know that we want the promises of that eternal home with him in heaven. We know that we also um, have demands placed upon us during this life. And among those demands is our desire to live in peace and harmony with one another. Unity can be found in many different causes, of course. Members of the military are bound together in their desire to defeat their enemy. We might find people united behind a political cause or maybe even a political candidate. We can find some measure of unity as we uh, support a, an athletic team. During every four-year period when the Olympics is held, we're all united behind those who wear the colors of our nation. But unity that comes from any of these things is fleeting. It doesn't last. Politicians come and politicians go. Causes fade over time. And given a little time, the unity that is associated with those things will also fade and fracture. Nations that once were enemies are now close allies. Nations that once were allies are now adversaries. Unity on any basis other than the cause of Christ is destined to fade over time. True unity brings peace and not conflict. Where there is no peace, there can be no unity. Living in peace then means that we look beyond our obvious differences and we focus on those things that are truly important. Think for a moment of the majesty of God's kingdom. As we are gathered here today to worship God, we are in a family that has done so already on the opposite part of the world and will do so later today in other parts of the world. Isn't that magnificent? We think about the true peace and the true unity that we find in the body of Christ, but we find that true unity not in our nationality, not in our ethnicity, not in our racial makeup, not in the color of our skin, but it is the unity of our common faith. 
True unity then has nothing to do with speaking a common language, has nothing to do with those things that are external. True unity is to be found only through our common adoption as children into the kingdom of God. I think it's no doubt those thoughts that David had in mind when he penned this beautiful psalm. As was read before us, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to, to dwell together in unity. It is, he says, like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts or the hem of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. This psalm is considered one of the pilgrim psalms written mostly by David. This is a psalm that would be recited by those who are journeying to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts, the festivals, the sacrifices that were commanded under the law of Moses. And it is no doubt that celebration that David sees that spectacle that unfolded before him as he penned the words of this song. Behold, David says, as he begins this, he says this as if he's summoning someone to come and to look at what he himself is seeing. David, I don't believe, is looking upon this as a national event. The unity that we have is in our joint citizenship in the kingdom of God. It still stands for something today for us to behold as far as the world is concerned. With so much animosity and conflict in the world between people, how can we as Christians of all nations and all races dwell together in peace and in harmony? David is likely seeing the, this gathering of Jewish people in Jerusalem for these various feasts and observances that were part of the regular religious practices of his day. But he knows that the unity that he speaks of is found in their faith in Almighty God. The thought that is expressed by David is that the sight of Israel gathered together to worship God is a good thing with many benefits coming from it. He said it is pleasant. Thayer defines the word good as to work good, to do good, to do well, to act rightly. It seems in this passage that the definition of act rightly seems to fit this context. The assembly of God's people to worship is good, and in so doing, they acted rightly. Pleasant is used as, defined as delightful or sweet. It reminds us, I believe, of the symbolism of Revelation chapter 8, where there it is said that the prayers of the saints are mixed together with the incense that were burned by the angel. And that, that incense mixed with the prayers of the saints goes up to God as a sweet-smelling savor, even in the nostrils of the very God of heaven. No doubt David saw the sweetness of their worship 
and he called it pleasant. This unity, he says, is like the precious ointment. It's like the dew of Heron, uh, Hebron. Taken together, these images would connote an importance for God's people because these images are in the category of what David calls good and pleasant. These symbols, when we take them together, represent the blessings that flow out from God and come in accord to David as he sees his people gathered together. The anointing ointment that is poured on Aaron's head likely represents the spirit of agreement on, on the part of the brethren. David sees this oil as running down even over his beard, over his garment, even to the hem of the very garments. And he sees that as good and pleasant. It is as all-encompassing for the nation of Israel. In David's poem, it extends to all of these faithful worshipers. Likewise, the dew of Haran falls to Mount Zion. The idea of falling or running down taken together would provide a, a likely intent of David in using the analogies. The benefits of the dew are seen even to Mount Zion. Dew would provide life-giving moisture to the desert land of that area. Similarly, as we think about David's, what he sees, he, he sees that this dew provides life-giving quality to the faithful of God. It represents the blessings of God as they flow down to Israel when they are faithful in keeping covenant with God. When we think about unity, it might be good for us to identify what unity is not. David is not seeing unity as being limited to those of the nation of Israel. United in the same government, in subjection to the same earthly king. Neither does he consider unity to be between brethren in a natural state, that is, of the same family, of the same tribe. Unity is not merely the absence of conflict. We know that from Genesis chapter 13. When we see the conflict that arose between Abraham and his servants and Lot and his servants and we know the resolution to that conflict was one of separation. Well, that separation may have brought some measure of peace, but it did not bring unity between Abraham and his herdsmen and Lot and his herdsmen. We find Moses having to be separated from his people because of conflict, but yet there was no peace. So there's no unity. True unity is a holy thing, motivated by our love for God and for our love for one another. For David, this spiritual unity was found in the sight of the Israelites coming together to worship at Jerusalem. And it was more important than that, the national unity of the nation of Israel. It's a celebration of the common life of faith that binds God's people together. The thing that attracted David's attention was the spiritual bonds of heavenly fellowship that are enjoyed by those who gather together to worship their common God. This common expression is the united Christian life is illustrated for us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
We see there where he describes the church as a living organism. He compares it to the body, our own body. He says in verses 12 through 27, I'll dip into a couple of verses. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. We come together as 300 plus, but we're assembled together as one. He says that we are in one spirit, all baptized into one body. We're all made to drink of that one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. There are many parts, he says, but one body. And the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable to the whole. And he, pray, he prays and encourages them that there be no division in the body, that the members may be of the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Did you catch that? You are the body of Christ and individually, individually members of it. Just as the members of the human body have no existence apart from the whole body, individual believers can have no existence independent of the body of Christ. You can't live as a Christian apart from the body of Christ. We need one another to be the whole body. When one part is hurting and one part is missing, the body is not whole. Individually, we need one another. Peter added to this teaching with the analogy of a building. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the unity that God wants. The unity that is to be found in the family of God. To use Peter's analogy of the, of the church as a building, we see the whole building is dependent upon each living stone. There are no unimportant stones. We're all to bear the weight according to our ability to bear it. Jesus makes it clear that unity among believers is possible only through our mutual love for one another. Without a love for one another, there can be no unity. We can't love in word only, however, we must allow our actions to match our words. Jesus tells us in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 5, a passage so familiar to all of you. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The result of that mutual love is unity. The result of that mutual love is peace and harmony amongst God's people. 
In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that they may all be one just as you, Father, and I are one. This unity then is brought about through our mutual love. That love that brings a oneness in our teaching, that is our doctrine. But more importantly, or equally as important, I guess I should say, the unity in our hearts, the unity of spirit. Paul implored the, the Corinthian brethren to strive for that spiritual unity, where in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, I appeal. That is a strong, I appeal, I implore, I beg you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no division, that you be united in the same spirit and the same judgment. If we love one another, we will desire to have that kind of peace, that kind of peace as we live together. Paul said in Romans that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We can't control what others do. We can only control what we do. So to the extent that it is possible, let us live in peace and harmony with the world round about us. When we seek for peace, people will notice. Mark chapter 9 tells, tells us that we are salt. And he says we are to have salt in ourselves and be at peace with one another. Our love doesn't mean that there will never be a disagreement. Paul and Barnabas encountered a disagreement or two along the way. But we found a beautiful example in Acts chapter 15 of how those disagreements, the doctrinal disagreement, that occurred during the first century were handled. And we can see there, if we read chapter 15 of the book of Acts, how they came together in a spirit of mutual respect and resolved what differences there were. Conclusions were made and uh, letters written and, and peace would reign for a time. The Hebrew writer tells us in 13 and one, let brotherly love continue. We could add, let it continue still today. Our relationship with one another is based on that brotherly love. The love that we would have for our own brother, and I think the fact is many times, the relationships that we have with our Christian families is stronger than the relationships we have sometimes with our physical families. True unity is to be found in the Lord. When we learn his word, when we apply it to our lives and we live in accordance with his instructions, unity will be the result. Isaiah speaks to us about a day in the future to him when Christ would bring unity and peace to this earth. That day was in the future to Isaiah, but it's the present age to us as we live to get today in the kingdom that was promised. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, he tells us, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of, Je of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Peace is meant to reign in God's kingdom. 
The foundation of unity among believers is the recognition that we exist as a part of his kingdom, his church, and not our own. Since the church belongs to God and Christ is its head, he sets the standards that are to be applied. Our part is simply to do his will. Jeremiah says, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way. But note the order in Jeremiah. He says, first, the faithful will be God's people, a people of one heart and one way. If they are God's people as evidenced by the unity that they show, then he will be their God. This is God's message to his people today. If we're faithful to him, he will lift us up. He will adopt us as children. Unity can come only through each of us living out our calling in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 reminds us that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we're called. Philippians tells us that we are to be of the same mind, that we are to have the same love, that we are to be in full accord, that we are to be of one mind, that we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility we are to count others more significant than ourselves. He says we are to look not to our own interest only, but also to the interest of others. John reminds us that we know that we've passed from death to life when we love the brethren. He says when we know that we love God and love one another, he says by this we can know, we can know that we are in God. Now there's many blessings that we see that come from unity. In that passage from Ephesians chapter 4, going down to verse 2 through 6, we see that these are the blessings that come from living a life of peace and harmony and unity. Being joined together with one purpose and one goal. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. With unity, we find comes humility. With unity, we find comes gentleness. With unity, we find comes forbearance or patience with one another. With unity, we find comes peace. All these things are brought about because the Spirit brings about unity. Christians are to be united together in the bonds of peace. We do a harm to the cause of Christ when we allow discord or disharmony to come between us. And Peter agreed with Paul in the importance of those fruits of the fruits of the Spirit when he said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 that we are to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, an humble mind. 
And with unity comes hope. If we live our lives according to the calling in which we're called, if we exhibit that humility, that gentleness, that patience, that forbearance, and since Paul and Peter uh, wrote about those things to remind us of the importance of them, we should follow them. If we follow the word of God as the Holy Spirit taught them, and we follow that word in our lives today, he will continue to teach us as we study the scriptures. We too can experience the hope that is found in that one Lord, that one faith, that one baptism, that one God, and that one Father of us all. We can know that unity and that peace even today. We can have a life of peace. We can see that there are those round about us all the time, every day, whether it's in a grocery store, our place of work, just driving on the highway. We see those people who have no peace. There are those people that we encounter that it's more like uh, encountering a construction zone than, than peace and harmony. Let us not be like them. Let's be those that bring the salving peace to this world. As we think about our theme for this year, we love God. We show our love for God by how we treat our fellow man. And as we show our love for God and our love for our fellow man in the actions of our daily life and our daily interactions with others, we can demonstrate God's love to them. We can be different than what they see every day. We can do something that causes someone to stop for just a moment and recognize, you know, there's something different about that person. I'd like to learn more about what it is that brings the peace in their life. Peace and contentment comes only from Jesus. Peace and contentment comes only through our living a life in harmony with God's word. But you can't live a life in harmony with God's word. You can't live a life in peace with God if you're not in Christ. And to be in Christ, you are part of his kingdom. You're part of his church. And if you've never made that decision to be part of the kingdom of God, if you've never decided to accept the grace that God has extended to you, there's no better time than today to do that so that you would have the opportunity to live in peace and harmony with God and with your fellow man. And if you're having struggles as a child of God, struggles with your own internal peace, there's no better place to turn than to your brothers and sisters and ask for the prayers and the comfort that can come only from people of God. If you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come even now as we stand and sing this song for your encouragement. Into Jesus, the cleansing heart. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in your traces? Are you?
Walking daily.